Welcome to the Intentional Fulfillment Podcast, hosted by your one and only, Alan Nogier. I'm here to help you improve in every facet of life and teach you everything I've learned on a journey toward fulfillment, whether in health, relationships, spirituality, or finances. On this podcast, I'll be giving you my best advice, trainings, and mindset shifts so you can become the person capable of achieving anything. Hi, everyone, and welcome to another great episode of Intentional Fulfillment with your host, Alan Nogier. That is me, and today I have a very exciting guest. His name is Ali Hussein, and everybody just welcome Ali Hussein. He's a great mind, and I'm going to have him tell you a little bit about himself. So, Ali, welcome to the show. Um, thank you. Yeah, thank you for, for being here. And I want to start by asking you, uh, tell us about what you do, what you're here to do in this world, uh, and, and, and yes. Thank you so much, Alan. It's a great honor and pleasure for me to be with you on this podcast. Um, so my name is Ali Hussein, and um, I'm originally from Iraq, um, and I migrated to the United States uh, about 20, 22 years ago now. And um, I finished a PhD in, um, in religious studies and mystical studies uh, in 2018. And uh, since then, I founded uh, an organization called Nostalgic Remembrance, which uh, focuses on the intersection of spirituality and creativity. And um, pretty much my work right now is uh, on uh, uh, this uh, trying to universalize the, 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 uh, the religious principles or the mystical principles of, of uh, a faith that I find to be very beautiful, Islam, and that has been uh, greatly misrepresented by the actions of a few and also by the media and so on and so forth. And so I'm trying my best to, um, to present that in a way that is not uh, just a set of rules or um, uh, uh, you know, a religious faith for a few, but actually um, a, a set of principles of, as the name of the podcast, self-fulfillment um, mm. and self-discovery. Um, and I found creativity and creative expression to be sort of one great intersection um, between faith and this idea of self-fulfillment. And one of the things that, that, you know, that I teach in, in, in my workshops is that um, the, the creative experience or the creative process is essentially no different than a mystical experience. Um, and the creative process is something that can happen for a painter, for a poet, but it can also happen, as you know very well, um, in trying to mold our bodies, right? Mm -hmm. In trying to mold our minds, we have these aha moments and innovative moments. Um, and that's essentially the mystical experience. Um, and, and also it's a process of translation, uh, translating, uh, from one thing to another that seemed disconnected. And then when we do that, when we do that process of translation, T.S. Eliot has a beautiful line of poetry where he says the intersection of the timeless with time, that is an occupation for the saint. So mm -hmm. anytime that we find ourselves in at the intersection of the messiness of life, which is the time. And then the timeless, which are these universal principles that we are trying to reach, like, for example, happiness, like, for example, intelligence, spiritually, mentally, bodily, so on and so forth. There is an aha moment that exists at that intersection, not in completely living in a vacuum of the timeless and not mm -hmm. being completely mired in the timed, but actually trying to be at the intersection. So all mm -hmm. of these sort of subtle things here and there that I found creativity to be, to be a great elucidator, a great explainer of these concepts in faith and spirituality 
Um, that's sort of the type of work that, that, I, that I've been trying to do. And I'm just someone who's trying to discover my journey as it goes along. And I've changed a lot throughout you know, the years and months, but um, I'd like to think that I'm gonna stay consistent in, 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 in that message at least. Beautiful, yeah, no, I absolutely love that. And, and I love how, because I very much relate to this in my own practice, which is how do you find the, the, the cross between something that's almost intangibly unexplainable, something so mystically profound or, or meaning, right? This reality in our mind, how do you create some like understanding out of it that might even be actionable where you can practice it and creativity in your way, the way you've explained it is almost like the actual, it's a manifested, Yes. you know? And, and yep. this is, I mean, this is a word that if anybody listening to my podcast or if you've read my book, manifestation, yes. you know? Where does the inner, the spiritual, the unexplainable, where does that manifest in our life and how do we bridge that gap? And that's what I love about what you're, you know, what, and, what you're talking and I about. Think, I think that, you know, if when we read the lives of mystics from like medieval times mm -hmm. um, or even someone as recent as Thomas Merton, for example, um, we get the notion, this overwhelming notion that it's a daunting process to become a mystic. But in reality, creativity is a path to mysticism for everyone, right? Mm. Because you immediately express, and many people, you know, they already know what it is like to be a mystic simply through being creative. People even, and, and, and they're creative even though they're not quote unquote, what we would regard as an artist. You mm -hmm. know, like they're not, they might not be poets or painters or <clears throat> musicians, but they're personal trainers, right? Mm -hmm. Or um, uh, uh, they're gardeners, they're chefs. Um, there is a reason why we call martial arts, martial art, it's an art form, mm -hmm. right? And there is the sense of um, uh, 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 making, like you mentioned, bridging the what seems to be unbridgeable. Mm -hmm. One of the reasons why I sort of steered away a little bit from the academic path, even though I did an academic uh, 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 I you know, a graduate study in, in, in religion is because I found that there is an overlap between a certain extremist religious mindset. And I found it also in certain academic circles, which is the idea of making a connection where none exists is looked down upon. Mm. It's frowned upon. But that's essentially what art is all about. Yes. And that's essentially what mysticism is all about. It's not about creating something out of nothing. And I think that that was one of the epiphanies I had when I was studying the great works of mystics. Their brilliance was not in making up new concepts mm -hmm. or creating new ideas. Their brilliance is actually in taking the ideas that already exist but building something new out of them that nobody could imagine before. Mm -hmm. And in philosophy, um, there was a, a, a French philosopher, his name is Claude Lévi-Strauss. And he had an idea, he coined a term called bricolage. And the bricolor is someone who has a limited set of tools. Mm -hmm. And then they create something completely new out of them. Yeah. And essentially, you know, all of us, each of us, we have a limited set of things that we found to be mundane in our lives. You know, like I wake up in the same house, probably with the same people, 
Mm -hmm. I, I go out to walk in the same nature trail. You know, how do you make it new? Mm -hmm. So the mystic I study, he, he says something remarkable. He said, if you, and this isn't that he lived in the 13th century. He said, if you truly perceived reality as it is, that nothing stays the same for two blinks of an eye, you mm. would never be bored. Because boredom is the illusion. And this is his, his words exactly. He says, boredom is the illusion that nothing is changing. Yes. But everything changes all the time. You definitely perceive that because if you didn't, there is no way you could day in and day out go through your regimen and then teach that to others with such soul and with such genuine authenticity. It's because it's like every day, you know, every day is a new day. That's a reality. That's not just a sentiment. Yeah, that, that just gives so much depth to the, to the word discipline. Like to, to and, and it's so related to presence as well. Like to become so present in the in the infinitely changing present moment yes. that you're not even aware of the like I mean you're right when you perceive stagnation it's not because you you're you're stuck in, in a stagnant world it's because you're unable to perceive the changing world yes. you know and yes there's this concept of, that I often use in my coaching and it's the concept of infinite meaning and it's, mm. it's simply saying that. In every single moment, it's the meaning that you bring to it, which is infinitely expanding only if you choose to perceive that meaning. And that's where you create life, right? And, and infinite meaning can only per be perceived in a present moment. So for everybody listening, I find that sometimes we struggle with, I know when I started on this journey, and you may have, you feel the same way, when we start on this journey talking about presence or, or all these kind of woo-woo concepts, you know, like meditation and all these things, it's hard to really understand it. It's hard to accept it. And like you said, a mystic's role is to bridge the gap in the rooted foundation of things and to bring something with new meaning to it so that it's understandable. And for everyone going on this journey of self-discovery and self-understanding, it's your ability to find meaning in the things that almost seem unbridgeable, yes. like things that seem totally out of, out of, I don't know, like magical almost. And that is where you find like some spiritual self something. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know? And I think, you know, this idea of what you mentioned is so perfect. This idea of making these concepts that seem intangible to feel personal. There is a concept that Sufi mystics, Muslim mystics talk about, which is taste. Mm -hmm. Right. And the example they give is. So they have an aphorism where they say whoever tastes knows, right? And the example they give is, if somebody asks you, what does honey taste like? The only thing you can say is, it's sweet, but then they will ask, well, how different is it than oranges or dates, mm -hmm. you know, or, or apples or cheesecake? All of that stuff is sweet, but how is honey mm -hmm. different? And then the natural response is, I can't tell you, you have to taste, <laughs> you have to do it, right? And I think what mystics do, and in that sense, this is what you do as well, is I can only tell you so much about, 
a program, about a discipline, about a journey, you eventually will have to go on it in order to see that what I'm saying is true. And the mystic I study, he actually says so beautifully in the beginning of his one of his books, says, look, if you have any doubt about what I'm saying, because he's talking about like angels and the unseen world and all of this extravagant flamboyant thing. So if you have mm -hmm. any doubt about what I'm saying, then just do what I did. Mm -hmm. Just sit down, empty your heart, and take this journey, and you will see, you will experience without a shadow of a doubt that what I'm saying is the truth. So it's really all about this idea of taste. And I think that's another word that we can give for this idea of making connections where none exist, for bridging the unbridgeable, for, um, for getting out of boredom. It's really all about taste. And you mentioned presence. And presence is so powerful because what I'm finding recently is because, you know, I'm coming to terms with why have I failed in my journey before? Hmm. And one of the things I realized is that I give into boredom too quickly. You know, I give into boredom way too quickly. Um, and that leads me on great pendul pendulum swings where I completely switch my, I become a completely different person. And even though I might find a little bit of enjoyment in that it's very distressing for me on the long term. And what I'm, one strategy, one cure, one healing strategy that I'm using now is just presence. Mm -hmm. At that moment that you're bored, just ask yourself, why am I bored? And let's say, and I'm, 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 this is my inner monologue. Let's say, like I'm speaking to a child because for Sufis, the ego is like a child. So you have to treat it like a child. So I speak to my ego like a child. What, let's say I give in and I do what it is that you want me to do. What is the end result of that? The end result of that is suffering, mm -hmm. right? And it's amazing because Sufis talk about two fluctuating states, psychosomatic spiritual states that human beings fluctuate between. One is constriction and the other one is expansion, right? So we're constantly fluctuating between um, sort of a euphoria, of yes, I'm excited to go to the gym. I'm excited, you know, to eat the healthy food. I'm excited to read the book. I'm excited to study. I'm excited to go to school. And then the constriction of, oh God, I have to do this again. Mm. And one of the amazing lessons they give is, I think you'll find this to be very beautiful. When you're expansive, when you're in that euphoria, save some of it. <laughs> don't 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 expend it all at the moment it's like somebody gives you a million dollars worth of happiness don't spend it all at once because there is going to be there is going to come a time when you're going to need that money mm -hmm. when you're going to need that spiritual money of, of expansiveness so when you're constricted it's like you're walking on eggshells mm. walk very carefully be very present Calm yourself down. I think this is really, really powerful. This idea of speaking to your inner child is so remarkable. And to just say, it's okay. I'm going to take you by the hand. We're going to go through this. Just persevere. And you can almost hear your inner child speaking back to you 
and throwing a fit, throwing a tantrum. No, I don't want to do this. I'm really bored. I'm done. I don't want to. No, it's okay. Just calm down. And similarly, in the euphoria state, you know, I want to go buy this. I want to go buy this. I want to go do this. I'm so excited. I'm so happy. Calm down. It's okay. Just, just, you know, just wait. Because there's going to come a time when you're going to need that energy. Um, that's all taste. And that's mm. all presence. And these things are not separate from one another. Right? And I think that, you know, one thing that you, I'm sure that you, you know very well, is that all of these concepts that we talk about, presence, euphoria, constriction, it's really just one reality. And it all mm -hmm. comes, it's part of a lived experience, it's a part of an unfolding experience. As I mentioned, you get to know yourself through the process. And our lives is not a linear line either. You know, like, you know yourself, um, you know yourself through the patterns that you go through and how to escape from one pattern in order to go on another series of patterns of, of, of um, you know, like traveling in space, we have to go in curves. So you're traveling through your inner space. You don't mm -hmm. go in a straight line because there are centers of gravity in our being that this is pulling us this way and this is pulling us this way. What would happen to a spaceship if it tried to go in a straight line? It's done, you know, it, it can't travel. It has to work with the system of the galaxies and the planets. It has to work to use the gravity in order to find itself out, in order to find a way out. And similarly through our inner beings. And I think this is really, as I mentioned, I'm trying to find, I'm trying to universalize mysticism. Um, it, it really is a lived reality. It is not hocus pocus and it is not completely abstract realities, you know, abstract mm -hmm. meanings. It is very much a lived experience. A hundred percent. I love absolutely everything you said. That was so beautiful. And there's Thank this you. there's this reoccurring thing that I, I see, which is, and you you said it yourself, which is the connection of it all. Like they're all one and the same. All is one and one is all in that uh, the meanings and, and the concepts, they're not separate. And the more you can find meaning in in one thing, like really understand the details, the more you understand everything else. And to me, it reminds me of, if any, anybody listening has seen the movie Cloud Atlas. Uh, have you ever seen the movie, Ali? I've heard of it. I haven't seen it. It's both a book and a movie. The book is, oh my gosh, it's the only book that's ever made me cry. Um, the movie I saw about three times during it. And the level of detail of the connectedness of every, it's called Cloud Atlas because it's an atlas of connection of lives over time wow. and space, right? Wow. I've seen it about 20 times. Every time I watch it, there's a new level of depth and a new level of meaning wow. to every little item, right? And when you think about, you know, you had mentioned earlier, we live in the same repeated routine, the same mundane, the, the, you know, we, we go through life feeling as if we're bored, but the only reason we're bored is because we're not perceiving the details. Mm -hmm. The details are where life exists, you know, and that's also the importance of presence, you know? Yes. And, and when I hear you speak, I hear such a, a fascination with life about the details, you know? And to me, when you speak of a mystic, a mystic is someone who takes a microscope to an ant and, and, or even a pebble, a grain of sand and asks, what is the meaning here? Yes. You know, and they, and it's just the world unfolding before your eyes and thus you get infinite meaning, you know? Absolutely. I, I would love to ask you what. For you, I know we talked about before this what a mystic is, but could you share with the audience 
what is a mystic in case someone's feeling that like they feel drawn to maybe I, am I a mystic? I don't know. Can you share with the audience? What is a mystic? Um, you are definitely a mystic. Um, <laughs> but you know, the prophet Muhammad, peace be upon him. He said, a saint is someone when they are seen, God is remembered. And I think I wouldn't dare try and, and, and find a better definition of what a saint or a mystic is. And I think God is remembered in different ways. I think what it means for God to be remembered, and I'm using the word God in the most universal sense possible. Mm -hmm. um, you know, um, Winston Churchill said there is no atheists on the, bat on the battlefield. <laughs> um, and I think we are all in a battlefield an inner battlefield in our lives. So I, with all due respect to atheists, I don't think there is any atheists. I, I think we all have a higher form of truth that we rely upon to guide our lives. That could be your great mind. That could be the scientific method. That could be humanism. That could be, you know, um, the, the form that God has taken in any of the great traditions that could be karma, that could be nirvana, that could be whatever it is, but I am using God to refer to all of those because mm -hmm. I believe mystically that God takes many forms. And actually there is an Islamic tradition which says that God on the day of judgment, he will appear in the forms, in all the different forms of creeds of the different nations and the different people and every people will affirm the form that agrees with their creed and they will deny the other forms. But the mystic I study, he says, the Gnostics are standing behind the lay masses and they're affirming all the forms. They're saying, you are our Lord, you are our Lord, you are our Lord. Mm. I think Moses found God at the burning bush. That is a remarkable story because the point here isn't the burning bush. The point is that he found God at that or in the form of what he needed most. He needed mm -hmm. fire. He needed light. He needed warmth for his family. And that's that, so beautiful. That form is the, the one through which God appeared to him. And I believe a mystic is someone who can be for others what they need most mm. simply put yeah. and if that I, happens because when that happens then god is remembered yes. right so if i am someone who is in need of discipline and i always am you know but if i'm desperate for discipline and then i meet you god is remembered mm. right because i i you know at that moment you know, it's like there is a great communication that's happening through the form. Yes. And one of the things that the mystics teach me is that God is not separate from the forms of the world that we live in. He communicates to us. That's the whole thing of manifestation or the mm -hmm. more theological term for it, theophany, um, which is God appearing through the forms of the world, even though he's absolutely transcendent. But it's a matter of theophany and manifestation. And you and me, we, even though we, we receive these gifts through the theophanies or the manifestations we interact with, 
we are also ourselves a manifestation or a theophany for others. Yes. You know, I, I love I, I love that word theophany because I, I'm just gonna take a wild guess. I don't actually speak Greek, but I mean I know Theo means God. Yes. And phone, I'm guessing from telephone is communication, communication from yes. God. Yes, you yes, know? yes. So I, I you know I what's absolutely... funny is is that Muslim yeah. Muslim saints they actually literally use the word in Arabic for phone call um to, to refer to divine communication. <laughs> That's it's the what same word like? in Arabic for like literally a phone call. Like I receive a phone call from God. What is that word? It's called hatif, and hatif means hatif means telephone. It yeah. literally it's like the word in Arabic for telephone. But if you read like medieval texts before the invention of telephones, they yeah. say like there came to him a hatif um, while he was <laughs> sitting down in seclusion. That's awesome, and, and you know I, I love this 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 whole concept of. Um, God, like a mystic, is when is is performing the mystic when he is remembering God. And in this conversation, for people listening, if you feel that right now, you feel that connection that I know Ali and I are, are perceiving right now in our in our conversation. Him and I, we're remembering God right now in whatever form it means to us. Right. And all forms are respected in this, especially in this conversation. And if you feel this, you are also remembering God that if you feel some kind of tingling sensation or like some kind of gratitude for this conversation, you are remembering God. You are performing the mystic, the, the magical, the unimaginable. Right. And when when Ali, you've talked about taste, you're tasting right now. You're tasting a bit of the divine. And. I'm just so, I'm so grateful. To I'm even more grateful. This. <laughs> I, I, I'm sure the audience is also grateful to be a part of this and that, that you guys all feel connected. Um, I, so, okay, so I want to ask, um, as far as your journey's been, you've gotten to this place where you've connected. Where did you struggle? Where in the past was like was spirituality difficult were you questioning maybe you know you as being a spiritual universal spiritual kind of person yet in islam you know like where where was their struggle where was this duality contradiction what were the difficulties so that's a that's a really powerful question and um one of the ways in which i sort of differ from my friends and my peers um American Muslims my age, my friends, many of them, you know, my friends, and I work with them. They're not only friends or they're friends mm -hmm. because I've met them through work. Um, you know, we teach, we do workshops, we do retreats, all that stuff is um, I am not a second generation immigrant, right? Many of them are second generation immigrants. I am a first generation immigrant. Um, and I migrated to the United States when I was 13. So the first 13 years of my life, I spent in the Middle East. And I wasn't a practicing Muslim when I, you know, that first 13 years of my life, I was a cultural Muslim. Um, mm. But experience tasting my faith in America and then sort of getting involved with my religious community as a teacher, as an educator, as a preacher, um, as an intellectual uh, or as an artist, and then seeing how the community is interpreting the faith here has caused me to 
sort of enter into a nostalgic introspective remembrance mm. of how my faith was in the Middle East, even though I wasn't practicing it. Um, one main difference is that in the Middle East, religion, putting aside all the, 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 the mire that the media presents, um, there is a great harmony between the different forms of art and religious practice. Very, the closest example I can give of that are the spiritual undertones of jazz and blues and gospel mm. music, right, in America. Um, mm -hmm. And then, you know, there is a very melodious, for example, there is a very melodious art form of, of Quran recitation in, in places like Egypt, which my mother is from Egypt. Um, and even though I never lived in Egypt, um, I, I culturally find myself, that part of me that is Arab, I find it to be much more Egyptian because there was this great sort of harmony between, and still is, between art, music, um, Arabic music, and the art of Quran recitation. There is a dissonance here between, and I mean, I'm, I'm generalizing, but, but it, you know, there is a sense of dissonance between, mm -hmm. um, that I've experienced, um, between uh, 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 art and, uh, 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 and religion. And I think the community mm -hmm. as a whole here has tried to sort of work to understand that better, to work through that better, and it's gotten better over the past 20 years that I've been here. But yeah. my struggle has been to really, it's a very common struggle, which is who am I, right? Mm. What, what should I be? And because on the one hand, there are many different things that I can do. And that's a gift that I have. But it's, you know, it's like Spider-Man with great power comes re great responsibility. Mm -hmm. I can be an artist fully. And what I mean by that is I can dress the part, I can look the part, I can speak the part. I can be a religious preacher, as you can see, mm -hmm. right? And I can talk the part. I can be an academic intellectual. The struggle has been how to find the equilibrium, mm. whatever that is, what, whatever that is. What is the equilibrium for me is not going to be the same for another American Muslim. And it's not going to be for another person who is, you know, who, who has taken a similar journey as mine. The equilibrium is different for every person. Um, one way in which I have found sort of a path to that equilibrium. And a friend of mine was asking me this is like, okay. He's like, I asked him, I asked him bluntly. I was like, I'm suffering because every few months my pendulum, my pendulum swings and I become a different person. Mm. I'm not being consistent. He's like, let's find the intersection. And we're back to the word intersection. Yes. He says, let's find the intersection between all of these things that you're doing. Mm. What is it that connects all of them? Mm. So I was like, okay, well, in my art, I try to write poetry that speaks about metaphysical reality, but I'm trying to describe it in very generic terms. Hmm. When I am in my preaching, I'm also trying to teach the works of mystics. 
when I'm doing. So it turns out that there really, really is this core. Yes. Right. And so I discovered that our struggles in self-discovery are usually not struggles of essence. They're struggles of the form. Mm-hmm. Which form we take yes. up the mountain, right? Mm. Which path do you want to take up the mountain? Yes. Find the path that's most pristine and pure for in your heart. You know, the Prophet Muhammad, he says, peace be upon him, he says, seek counsel from your heart, even if they give you counsel. The great mm-hmm. religious leaders, even if they give you counsel, seek counsel from your heart. You have to look inwardly and find what is the path amongst 10 or 20. That And all of them lead you to the top of the mountain, but there is only one. And it'll, let it take as long as it, can, as, as, it, as it takes. But there is one path which is really pristine to you, mm. for you. Find that and take it. And what my friend told me in a very great mystical way that immediately clicked with me. He was like, you know, the mystics, the spirits of the mystics that you're studying, they love you so much that they literally um, close communication between you and them when you're not taking the path that's pristine for you Mm. in order to protect you and to direct you to the path that they want you to take. And now a quick word from today's sponsor. And today this episode is brought to you by your one and only, that's right, that's me, Alan Nogier's very own book. It's called Intentionally Fulfilled. Now this book is all about becoming intentional toward a life that you love. It's about becoming fulfilled. I help you do this through an actionable process of manifesting your greatest reality that you can implement as you're reading the book. On this journey, you're going to discover an insane amount of spiritual undertones, understanding of the egoic godlike complex, how your finances, relationships, your health, how it all ties together so that you can become intentional in every aspect of your life. And I promise when you're done reading this book, you will not be the same person. Now, if you're enjoying this podcast, go ahead and find this book on Amazon either on paperback or Kindle version by typing in intentionally fulfilled or by typing in my name, Alan Nogier. I hope you get a chance to read it. And if you do, it would mean the world to me if you left me a review. Now let's go ahead and get back to the episode. And here is another thing that I think is also important. Mystical traditions, faith and religion is based on litanies, repeatable actions, rituals, that we do Mm -hmm. every day. A great epiphany I had personally is that when I'm doing my litanies, and by litany, I mean like a Hail Mary. Let's just say I'm doing my Hail Marys. Mm -hmm. When I'm doing my Hail Marys, my entire perception changes. And who I want to be, the image I want to be in, entirely changes. And it's consistent, by the way. Every time I do my Hail Marys, if I'm consistent with them, I want to be that one particular type of person. Mm. And when I'm not doing my Hail Marys, I'm somebody else. I'm confused. Mm. I'm distracted. I want to do something else. Mm. Find your Hail Marys. And I'm just using a religious term, but find your Hail Marys. Yeah. 
you know, you have a great, you know, meditation mentor um, that I'm speaking with, uh, uh, Alan, you know, and he teaches breath work. Breath work is an incredible Hail Mary. Do breath work, do meditation, whatever it is. Um, you know, one of the great books that, um, uh, that I, I used to teach from, and you probably know it, um, uh, it's called, uh, uh, it's about create, like creativity and spirituality or the creative, the, the, the artist's way, the artist's way. Um, and it's like a, a book that's sworn by, by, by like all, like even Martin Scorsese and all of these great minds that swear by, by, by this book. Um, the author, she describes this practice of morning pages. She says, every morning, just blurt out, empty whatever is in your mind. It doesn't mm. matter what it is. It could be complete nonsense. Just write it down. That's a Hail Mary. Totally. Find your Hail Marys because that's going to give you focus. Yeah. That's been my struggle. I, but that's, I, how, I, that's I, how I'm finding a cure for it. That's how I'm finding the way forward. Exactly. And that's the thing that the whole time you were talking about how to find yourself because everybody really is going through this struggle of who am I, you know, and, and I always, always, because I see this often in, in clients that I coach, I always tell them, if you want to be found, you have to first be lost. Wow. Like it's, it's not until you are lost in which you are found, right? So, so many people, they stay stuck in the routine and, and they, they refuse to change and refuse to wander, to wander and, and, for those people listening who love to travel, let me tell you why you subconsciously love to travel that you've never realized before. You love to travel because, especially in your 20s, early 20s, travel is exposure. Mm -hmm. Exposure to new ways of thinking, to new lifestyles, to new ways of living, to new ways of being, to new ways of, of speaking, right? Even language, right, is a different way of thinking. So when you can expand your bubble, beyond that, the reality in which you already know. Well, now, now you've, you've discovered something that might lead you to a path that you might love. You know, because if you think about, you know, I think about maybe sometimes the people that I, I knew in high school who never left, who never left their hometown, who just went straight to, to work and, and never experienced life. They can't know beyond the reality that exists within that hometown. And thus, they've never exposed themselves to new ways of living. And exposure is the very thing when you, because again, if you're lost, that's when you can be found. You know what I mean? And, and it requires vulnerability to say, I'm willing yes. to go be broke. I'm willing to go ha have absolutely no idea what I'm going to go do, but I'm willing to do it because if I'm lost, then I'll find myself. And that's find amazing grace. That's the amazing grace, right? I, was, I, I once was lost, but now I'm found. Yes, exactly. Right? <laughs> it's, exactly. It's, it's actually really beautiful that there is a harmony, there is an overlap between English and Arabic. Mm -hmm. That in English, finding is related to being found, not only in the sense of being lost and found, but in being non existent and then being founded. Oh, right. And in That's Arabic, beautiful. the word for being is wujud. And in the root of it is the word wajada, which is to find. So, and mojud means something that is existent. So to be found in Arabic is also to come into existence. Yes. And, and, and um, like, yeah. I, I was going to say right there, everybody, that's the example of 
the beauty of perceiving in a whole different way. Uh, learning a new language is the opportunity to see in a whole new reality. Yes. You know, when I, you know, I speak uh, Spanish and French, and when I speak in those different languages, my mind just changes. It just thinks differently. And thus I perceive in a whole brand new reality, a whole language of new reality, you know, and, and it's insane how much you can perceive when, when you just wander outside of your yes. current bubble, you know, and, and that know, is where, again, meaning is found meaning outside of your it, it is, reality. It is, it is, it, it is meaning resides just outside the ordinary, right? Mm -hmm. Just right mm -hmm. outside the ordinary. But you mentioned French and it's one of my favorite languages and French is filled with um, these pun on play on words. And I actually yeah. wrote a little aphorism in French because I studied French for a while. Um, yeah. And I'll read it and I'll tell it to you. Um, please, nous, please. Sommes, nous sommes le rêve de Dieu. S'il se réveille, tout est fini. Oh, right. okay. We so, are the dream of God. If he wakes up, all is finished. And it, it, it struck me because rêve, which means dream, is related to se réveille, which is to wake up. To wake up. Yeah. Right. So that's I, I mean upon the pun that essentially we are the dream of God because that's what Shakespeare said, right? Yes. Like our little life is rounded with a sleep. And that's a very great mystical uh, point, right? Um mm -hmm. but but I think, yeah, I think I think language, I mean the mystic I studied, he opened my eyes to the power of language in ways that I could not imagine. And essentially for him, everything really resides at the heart of language. If you want to discover the great metaphysical principles of our existence look at the relationship between words and you mm -hmm. have you know the original um uh the original language like th the the classical language sort of to say french being one of them latin mm -hmm. um german and even you know with a little creative license trying to even see relationships across languages which is shunned by academics profusely but you know <laughs> one of my favorite french philosophers jacques derrida um mm -hmm. he talks about the word gift mm -hmm. which of course means present in english yeah but in german means poison ah yes so there is there is a great journey for him there where he talks about, you know, giving a gift. And this is something in, in like, you know, in, in anthropology also, giving a gift is like literally giving poison because a gift is always expected back in return. <laughs> mm -hmm. So there is, there, is, there is this gift of giving a gift, right? This poison yeah. of, giving, of giving presents. Um, but then, you know, we talk about giving, you know, presents make you present. Um, mm -hmm. um, and, and all of that, you know, series of connections. But, um, like that connection, you know, between gift in German and gift in, 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 in English, the word in English, that, which means, you know, like that thing. Yeah. The word that in Arabic means essence. Mm. So that's for miss, like my mystic self. And whenever I talk with my friends, I was like, isn't it remarkable that the essence of God is usually described as that. And yes. so in English, if you're pointing at everything and you're saying that, 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 
It's like yes. you're highlighting the divinity, the presence of God in all things. That is so mind-blowingly beautiful. Right? Yes. Yeah, and, and I think language opens you up to to you know to that and you know i like you know me and my friends i like to play puns like that so the word uh for love in arabic is hope which so i say things like you know hope is a hub um <laughs> you know it's like a, it's like a place where things connect and stuff like that but i right. think it's powerful and i think it's important because yeah. if you are able to perceive how malleable language is you know language is like always dancing for us if we're paying attention one of the things I wrote in my dissertation is um, the language that mystics use to describe the mystical experience is inseparable from the experience itself. And mm. what I mean by that is one of the great dilemmas in mystical studies is that the mystical experience is ineffable. It's something that's out of the ordinary and beyond language. It cannot be described. And yet, mystics have written profusely about their mystical experiences. Mm -hmm. And for many academics, this has been a sort of confusion, and they even perceived it as a contradiction, that mystics say you cannot describe a mystical experience, and that they write endlessly about it. But one of the things I point out is, perhaps we're reading their writings um, in a wrong way perhaps their writing is actually like almost like magic if you mm -hmm. read it it's meant to activate that experience within you yes right like like in the very words that they have chosen to express their mystical experience but you know to use tolkien and lord of the rings you know it's like if you say the word melon like the gate will open if yeah. you read these words you will actually it's like a coded it's it's like a talisman yes it's you're going to experience this thing for yourself yes. but that means then that we should be reading the works of mystics and i'm saying this to say we should read all of life mm -hmm. as a great mystical work as something that has in it the power to transform not that it teaches you how to transform it itself is the transformation in word. Yes. You know, it, it's interesting you say that because in my, throughout my coaching, I've, I think about three different phases that I've had in relationship to words. You know, when I was first a coach, uh, like especially a personal trainer, I would always tell my clients, your words are your truth. If wow. you say you can't, you can't, right? I mean, whatever you believe is right. That That is what is right, right? And then, you know, I would tell people this, I would tell them. And then for some, some reason, I couldn't quite identify it at that time. It didn't always work. Sometimes I would have them say certain words, but for some reason in, in the way we're speaking about it, it wouldn't activate. It wouldn't activate them, right? So therefore, I kind of went through the second phase where I broke my own rule, where I was like, maybe words aren't your truth. You know, mm -hmm. maybe it's not enough to say that, you know? And, and I went through this phase where it was like, ah, your environment is your trigger, yet you also facilitate and create your environment. Mm. And that conditioning, both your force on it and it on you, creates your thoughts. And thus your words are a manifestation of that. So yes. then I'm, I'm, I'm going back and forth here between, okay, how powerful are my words? 
And then also question, maybe my words are just a result, you know? And now speaking today, I think about this concept and I really believe it. it is both. And in the sense that if you can, because I put, uh, there's this uh, little practice that I do with, with some clients, especially business clients who don't realize the power of their phone. And this, mm. this can go for everyone. So I'll tell everybody this actionable thing you can do. So many people use their phone for scrolling, right? They're unintentional yeah. about it. Why are you unintentional? You're unintentional simply because you don't see the opportunity for intention through your phone, right? Mm. You're not perceiving it, thus you're not acting on it, right? So how do you start acting like your phone is valuable and like it, the way it should be used, like a powerful tool of communication and building business and building relationships and, and like empowering you so that you're not scrolling. You look at your phone and you admire it for what it is. And then you tell, and this is where you, once you embody the perspective and then you reinforce it with words that can activate that perspective, that's mm. where your words can both be your truth and also be a result of your truth. Mm -hmm. Right. So the practice that I do with people is I have them look at their phone and I prompt and I, as they're looking at their phone, I have them, I prompt them in their minds with my words, telling them this phone is the key to all of your relationships, the key to building foundational business, the key to, you know, being able to travel, being able to make enough money to do this, mm -hmm. to do that, whatever, you know, it is the most valuable thing you have in your possession to be able to execute on your goals. Now, when they see that, they've been, they've been activated by my words. Mm -hmm. Now, I ask them to speak their words, right? The result of this activation. Mm -hmm. And now their words are a result of the activation. And, the, and their yes. new words then become the activators for their new embodiment. Yes. And it's just a self-reinforcing cycle. Try this at home, guys. Like, you know, look at your phone and absolutely admire it for what it can do for you. Wow. And anything in your life. Look at a person and stop, you know, stop focusing on the problems that they bring to you and start and first embody the admiration through presence. And once you've embodied the feeling, then say the words that activate and reinforce the feeling. You see what I mean? Yes. Yes. That's a great strategy. I'm going to try it out myself. Try it out. It really oh, absolutely. works. Absolutely. Absolutely. I think also what you mentioned is, um, is really powerful, this idea that words might not work for, for a lot of people, maybe the environment. I also, one of the things I, I tell people is that words are not, they do not take only one form. They're not just scribbles with ink. Words are, if we were, if we were to resort to theology a little bit, Jesus is a word, right? Jesus is a word of God. Mm -hmm. That in itself is a lesson that words do not have one form. What we're talking about here is not just words. We're talking about logos, mm. right? Which is, which in theology is this, this, this activating word, right? The be, right? Um, like for something to be, that can be something that's written with ink that you read. It can be a sound. Mm. Music can be the words that activate people. Ultimately, actually, the origin of language, the origin of language is music, right? Mm. I mean, the origin of la language, it, it, music, if you, 
if you constrain music and sound, especially the human voice, you get language, right? It's yeah. a simplified form of, of music. Um, visual art is words that can activate people. Yeah. Smells, aroma, fragrance mm. can activate people, right? I mean, I'll tell you, I, if, I, if I am in the mood of writing poetry and I don't have coffee next to me, forget it. I won't be able to do anything. Yeah. The, the smell of coffee has to be there, right? Um, sounds, smells, tastes as well. Yeah. I mean, it goes you know, for coffee as well, taste, but any, any type of taste, if you yeah. need that, do it. Uh, you know, that's also... What we're talking about when we say words is what I'm saying. What we're talking about is communication. Yeah. We're talking about a medium of communication. And just yeah. as I was saying, find your Hail Marys, find your mode of communication. Like we always talk about, you know, this person is a visual person. That's how they learn. They learn through images. This one has photographic memory. This one is, a, this one is an auditory person. It's not just for learning in high school. It's literally for self-discovery. Yeah. And, and this is really important as well, the mode through which you discover yourself is part of your self-knowledge. It's not just a path. That, mm -hmm. So in other words, if you're an auditory person, that tells you a great lot about who you are. Not just that, oh, you know, fine, now I figured out what I'm, so I'm going to start listening and then I'll discover myself. No, you've already made a huge discovery about yourself by realizing that you are an auditory person. If you, if we want to go back, go back to talking about God for a little bit, in whichever way you are designed, it's a subtle, like a fragrance of a flower. I'm trying to be a little bit poetic here. Like a fragrance mm -hmm. of a flower. Every flower has a particular type of fragrance and color. And that fragrance is different than any other flower. And it mingles beautifully with the color of the flower. And it serves a particular importance and role in the beauty, in the grand scheme of things. Mm -hmm. The mode through which you learn is like your fragrance, yeah. right? And that mode makes you uniquely beautiful. Mm -hmm. And that tells you something about, um, about the role that you're going to play in the universe, which yeah. nobody else can play. Um, the mystic I said, he says something really remarkable. He says, saints and mystics can be classified according to certain physical mannerisms he says some saints are laughers they laugh like all the time he says don't don't think they laugh for no reason their laughter is a sign that they're receiving divine communication mm. so whenever they laugh there is inspiration descending upon them he says and the sign of that is that it's contagious <laughs> that when you're sitting around them if they start laughing, everybody starts laughing. Yeah. And the beauty of that is that everybody around them also receives from that inspiration. That's part of the mercy and the grace of being a mystic is that you're mm -hmm. contagious in your grace. And similarly, yeah. some saints and mystics are criers. 
right? They cry and everybody around them starts crying. Some of them are sires and yawners and so on and so forth. Coppers, sneezers, anything. Our physical mannerisms, the messiness of life, the messiness of who we are, our little quirks, they're not, we call them quirks, but they're just one tile in, in the mosaic that makes us uniquely beautiful. Yes. And, 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 I would... that's, and that's how the universe moves through each, each one of us that, that you know, um, and through our, our uniquenesses. Yeah. And, and you know, I, I, I made uh, an Instagram post two days ago where I said, you, yes, you, you are whole, you are beautiful, and you are perfect. And it's, you know, it's so, it's one of those things that, again, you have to taste to believe it. Yes. You know, like I see, I see when I look at someone, I see their perfection, but only because I've already tasted it, you mm -hmm. know? And I think in a world where so many people struggle with comparison or self-judgment and, you know, they may say like, you know, they'll, they'll work on affirmations and they'll say, oh, I love myself. I love myself. I love myself. Yet the fact that they have to work so hard at it, what are they actually saying about themselves? Yes. That I don't love myself and that I actually have to work on it. And it's only because we're missing the, the we're, we're just, we're simply not seeing our perfection in who we already are, right? Mm -hmm. And it's, it's just like you said, you know, our unique fragrance, our unique whatever, our whatever palette makes us who we are, that is already divine in itself, right? So if you're struggling, if you're listening to this and there's some part of you that you find is self-judging, I would, I would say part of the only reason that we get into self-judging, we kind of go back to this child ego thing that you had mentioned earlier. Mm -hmm. It's us taking a look at our, through our ego eyes and saying, I, I need to be better. And thus, what are you implying by not being better that you're not good enough, right? And we almost have to quiet down the ego that seeks to validate ourselves. The ego that says, um, you're only good enough if and when, AKA, yes. what is that called? Conditional love. Yes. More specifically, conditional self-love. You don't only do this with other people. You do this with yourself. Yes. So this is, this is foundational for any relationship. Like if you're trying to build a relationship with yourself, it takes unconditional love, already acknowledging that you're already perfect. How do you do that? And, th and then that's also with other relationships as well. Seeing through unconditional love, not you're great for me or you're perfect only if and when. Yes. You know, how do you get to this place of unconditional love? The only thing that places condition on love is your ego. Yes. So getting beyond your ego, aka yes. presence, aka connecting to nature, right? Getting like getting like in a meditation when you're in the forest or in your in the trees or whatever in nature or in the lakefront and you're meditating and you're contemplating, you're being the mystic of your life and you're not looking at yourself, you're looking at that ant and you're saying, what is the meaning of his life or her life? Or you're looking at a tree and you're saying, what is the meaning of life? Not the meaning of my life. Yes. That's egocentric. It's the meaning of life because I am just a speck of dust. What, yes. you know, we just, we, we think the world revolves around our eyes and it doesn't, you know? when you realize that the world does not revolve around you is when you can start loving the world and when you can start loving yourself, you know? I think, yeah, 
that's that's so that's so powerful. That's really remarkable that that perceiving that you are. And there is, I think, you know, on the one hand, what you mentioned, perceiving that life is such a great cosmic reality mm. that, you know, again, there are so many miracles happening outside of you. Yes. And then there is the humility and the humbleness and the love that you feel when you recognize, even though you are such a speck, you have been graced to be a part of this great movement. Mm -hmm. And I think that when you put what you mentioned with that, there is like this great sense of who am I to be included in this great thing? But that's also your mission. Like that's also, you are part of this great, beautiful thing that's happening all around you. And I have a responsibility to take care of it, to take care of me because I'm a part of it. But at the same time, and it's like this great perplexity, right? It's like this great perplexity that's throwing you back and forth in introspection. On the other hand, it's like, this is so great. What can I do to, to make this even better? Mm -hmm. And it's like, you know what? And this is the mystic, like the mystic's calling is like, just be present and it will take care of you. Yes. Just, just, <laughs> just, take, just take one step. It will take a hundred steps towards you. Um, yeah. And one thing that I'm reminded of now, which I think um, has to do with discipline again, um, and, and this idea of the voice of the inner child or the, the ego. And I think um, we spoke about this uh, before, is that one of the great struggles in discipline, and you know, I'm, I'm stepping on your turf here. You're 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 the person to, to talk about that. But um, one of the, and I'm speaking from my personal experience, is that when I start a regimen, not necessarily physical health or anything like that, even spiritual health, of you know, again, my hail marys, that inner voice, um, or my inner demon, shall we say, will come to me and say, "Are you seriously going to try and do this every day?" <laughs> for the rest of your life are you seriously going to spend three four hours doing all of this work day in and day out um you're not going to get bored you're not gonna this is this is hell and i found such a simple and it's a teaching of the mystics but i found such a simple solution to this i'm not responsible for tomorrow because mm. all i know i could not be here tomorrow i don't even know if i'm going to be living in the next hour the only thing i am sure of is this particular moment yes and you have and i'm speaking to that inner child you have no power over me in this particular moment i'm doing it i'm enjoying it i'm experiencing it i am tasting it that's the only thing that matters that's the only <sighs> thing that right that's such a paradox to tell yourself like if, if you wake up anybody listening to this if you wake up every day and tell yourself i am not responsible for tomorrow it's like you're yes. almost it, it sounds like you're giving up ownership but which the paradox is when you give up ownership of tomorrow you take ownership of today yes i am not responsible for tomorrow what i am responsible of 
is this moment. And it's in this moment where your whole life unfolds. If you think about anything you've ever done that's magical or beautiful in this moment, it's because you acted and action led to results. And the only place that action lives is in the present moment. Action cannot live in the past or in the future. That's it. It is in every present moment. That's it. That's it. And there is, there is, you know, the Sufis, they say that the Sufi is the son of his or her moment. Mm. Meaning we are reborn at every single moment. And when a child is born, how amazing do they perceive the world around them when they're first born into this world? That's how we should take in the world. And it's really going back to this idea of boredom. If we truly are reborn, born again at every moment, we would never be bored because, mm. oh my God, I'm just discovering this for the first time. I'm just seeing this all for the, and I'm taking all of this for the first time. Who cares about what happens in the next moment? When that moment comes, um, I'll deal with it. I'm going to be different anyways. You know, I'm going to be different anyways. What matters is now. So like for Muslims, you know, we have these five prayers a day. I should, I don't care about what is left until the end of the day i care about this prayer now what does it mm -hmm. represent they're tied to the time of day dawn noon afternoon sunset and night what am i feeling at this particular moment there is this great harmony between this prayer and the movement of the sun you know mm. like like the sunflower it moves with the sun it directs itself with it's so present it directs yes. itself right with the sun and 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 but look how beautiful also the fact that we're talking we're taking a mystical concept and we're applying it to something that's so concrete mm -hmm. like going to the gym every day yes like oh my god are you seriously going to go 4 hours to the gym every day are you going to eat rice and tuna every day for the rest of your life it doesn't matter what happens tomorrow <laughs> the only thing that matters is right now which I can do. Yes. And, which, and by the way, this plays both ways in constriction and expansion. What we're talking about right now is constriction. Mm -hmm. I find myself also, when I am overly expansive, my ego responds the same way. And this is this is the idea of being in a candy store. It's like, oh, yes, yes, we're going to do this prayer now. And in a couple of hours, we're going to do the next prayer. And then we're going <laughs> to read this book. And then we're going to do that. We're going to do that. It's like, calm down. Just yes. calm down. Just appreciate this moment, enjoy this moment, and then we'll we'll you know we'll do this we'll do this other thing when that time comes, you know, um, yeah. you know like like my daughter for example when she has, um, when when she finds out that there is dessert, and you know she 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 can't think about eating her food, and it's been a lesson for me in trying to communicate to her, right. Just calm down, eat your food, and then you can have your dessert. Because that's essentially what I go through all the time, right? Yeah. Just calm down, do this thing now, and then we can worry about all of that stuff later. Totally. But this is not, you know, I think you will agree with this, Alan, is that this is not, we did not discover all of this uh, uh, in a blink of an eye, right? This is a matter of struggle, and it's a matter of, reading the works of great mystics mm -hmm. um and 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 in my tradition also and i'm sure for you as well of accompanying them being in the presence of great spirits and kind of course, spirits yeah. of feeling of uplifted 
as I feel, for example, in speaking with you, I haven't even met you in person, but I feel the sense of upliftment. Um, but ultimately, intersection of the timeless with time, you mingle with great people. You, they, they impart and they imprint upon you great wisdom, but you still have to do the work of tasting. It's like if I'm spending a day with Alan and Alan gives me a jar of honey in terms of wisdom, I still have to taste that honey. Yes. If I just look at it, that's, that's nothing. You know, if I just yeah. look at the jar of honey, you know, if I, if I, if I buy your book, which I'm going to, and I just read it, read it, read it, read it, read it, and put it on the shelf, you know, what's, 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 where is the taste? Uh -huh. You know, there is a great mystic from Morocco. He said, knowledge is of two types, knowledge of paper and knowledge of taste. Yes. He says, knowledge of paper, so many have done it. Knowledge of taste is rare, right? It's, it's really about taste. That's transformation. That's beautiful. And, um, you know, it just, it's interesting you say that, and we're, we're going to wrap it up here in, in just a second. Um, I have one more question for you, but the last two people uh, that I've had on the podcast, I asked them, you know, for the last question, what do you think is the most actionable thing that you could give the audience today to help them in, in whatever, you know, in their journey and finding themselves? I think that was a common thing that we spoke about is finding yourself, right? Um, that would be my question for you. And it's interesting. The last two people, th their answers were surround yourself with people who are further down the road than you, aka find the mystic and, mm -hmm. and surround yourself with the mystic. I don't know. I, I hope that wasn't going to be your answer, but if it is, that's totally fine. What would you say to the audience listening? What's the thing that they need to hear so that they can be actionable in pursuing their journey, finding their journey? Um, what would you say? I think it's related to that. Mm -hmm. And uh, it has to do with, with, um, with what I mentioned earlier about the definition of a mystic that the Prophet Muhammad peace be upon him mentioned, which is the mystic is someone whom, when they are seen, God is remembered. Um, in the interviews that, um, that Bill Moyers did with, uh, with, with George Lucas, he asked him, he said, is, is Star Wars about God? I mean, is the force supposed to be God? Is this about religion? He said, he said, it is less so about religion and more about God. And then he said something so powerful, Lucas. He said, sometimes I ask young people on the street, do you believe in God? And I am less troubled. Pay attention to this. He says, I am less troubled if they answer no than when they say, I don't know says, I am very troubled by young people who say, I don't know, when it comes to believing in God. I think the most actionable thing we can do is not to find God, because I, you know, I don't think, um, I don't think that's a reasonable question. I think it is to discover the God that you already believe in. Mm. That's the most, because then, that will allow you to see the mystics. Because if, yeah. if, if we say that a mystic is someone whom when they are seen, God is remembered, but you don't know who God is for you, then yeah. how will you recognize the mystics? That's so beautiful. Yeah. And, I, I wanna... and I'll just add to that. There is um, one of the students of Jacques Derrida, the French philosopher I mentioned, his name is um, John Caputo. And he wrote a book called On Religion. 
Yeah. And he talks about Star Wars, religion and Star Wars and Lord of the Rings and all of that. It's a beautiful book and it's, it's available for free, uh, for free on PDF. Um, you can yeah. find it online. But one of the things he says, he says, God is not the answer. God is the opening of the question. Yes. If you are asking a question, the questions that you are asking, God is there in the question itself. So I think the most actionable, the reason I, I use this as my actionable sort of advice is because I like to go to the source of all things. Yes. Discover the God you already believe in. Know him, know that reality. Everything else will fall in place. And then you will, you will, then you will know what mystics to look for. Or they will find you, you know, they, you, you know, it, it will become clear. Taste, yes. presence, constriction, expansion, um, meaning, um, creativity, all, everything that we have said, it will all fall in place once you discover the God that you believe in. Beautiful. Discover the God that you believe in. Um, Ali, thank you so much for, for the audience listening. Thank you. Uh, you got to rewind that one. You got to listen again. I know a lot of complexities, dualities, and, and depth. Listen to it again. Share it with someone uh, who might need to hear it, who's looking to find the God within them and help them feel that. Uh, you know, thank you so much for sharing the beauty that's within you and for helping everybody listening to this feel the beauty that's within them. Thank you so much, Ali. Um, again, go rewind that, share that with, with all your friends and family and have a great day, guys. I hope you enjoyed this episode, and if you did find it super valuable and you want to share it with the world, make sure to screenshot, post, and tag me on Instagram so I can see what you're up to and we can connect more. And to get notified on the next episode with me, go ahead and subscribe to the podcast on iTunes or wherever you listen. Now get out there, do great things, be a decent human, and I will see you next time.